We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The score! This hour is brought to you by Menards. Save big money at Menards. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score, the score. and 670thescore.com in Odyssey, Odyssey Station. The plan is, you know, we know not to, you know, do what we did last year. You know, there's a lot of room to grow. And, um, you know, it's just a lot of confusion. A lot of people pulling from, from different angles, you know, uh, not just in the clubhouse, you know, fans as well. Um, a little bit of everybody. So, uh, you know, the ultimate goal is to, you know, try to try to dumb that down and get it back on, you know, pulling from the same screen with everybody, including you. Including me. What do you mean including me? Including you. What are you trying to say? I ain't got to say it. You know what? I, I, well, <laughs> that, that I was questioning why you guys couldn't win? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. Ah, well, that spurred a further discussion about what everybody's roles are in this whole thing and about uh, how thick uh, a player's skin should be when it comes to a lot of it. And uh, here to carry on the discussion is someone who's kind of in the middle of all this. And I give you a lot of credit, Ryan McGuffey. Because uh, you could easily just say, no, 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 I, I don't want to talk about it. But I, I think it's great that uh, you feel secure enough to come on and, and uh, comment about this. Ryan McGuffey is a senior producer at NBC Sports Chicago, co-host of the White Sox Talk podcast on Twitter at Ryan McGuffey. With us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. How you been, Guff? Hey, man, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> It's uh, always happy to be here uh, with you guys. I, I know originally I think I, I was like, I'm not getting involved with this, but then uh, thought about it and I was like, yeah, let's do it. So why is, what is your perspective and how do you think it differs maybe from ours? I think it differs. I, I honestly think this is, uh, well, first of all, I was two feet. I was, I was present for the interview. Okay. So I was I know, boots on the ground. I'm in Arizona right now. Um, and I, 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 the one thing I will say is I, I do think it was str- a strange thing to pe- maybe bring up. Um, it wasn't a question that was that led Tim there or anything like that. Uh, there was nothing about. Um, I mean, if you listen, if if those out there listen to the whole interview on the podcast, uh, there was no. I think there were some questions about last year, but it wasn't about you know tone or anything like that. Um, I don't think so, so I'm looking at this thing on the whole, and I don't think Tim Tim acknowledged they didn't play well, and he also acknowledged that yes, it would be better if everyone's pulling from the same rope, whatever that means, including fans, and obviously he, he said to Chuck, uh, but I don't think he was also saying like Chuck shouldn't be critical when the team isn't playing well or underperforming or had no leadership, which is what they had in 2022, and part of the problem, if anybody was getting. Had their feathers ruffled because of um, what was being said on a pre or post game show, or, or the narrative that has been uh, pushed out there on Sox Twitter, which we know at times could be, uh, you know, over analytical or uh, super. You know, you guys know Twitter. I'm not, but 
I just think that this thing is blown up. And I, I think Tim, he, he acknowledges both uh, he, multiple times in the podcast that they didn't play well last year and he understands it, but he thinks that everybody should be pulling more from the same road because of the positive vibes, yada, yada, yada. So I understand like why that was like taken out of context, but at the same time, like, I don't think it's, I, I think my perspective of being here for it, like there's no animosity between the two. As a matter of fact, like Chuck and Tim are laughing this morning. Uh, Tim thinks this whole thing's funny in some ways. Um, and if, if that bugs people, I don't think he really cares. The The vibe around here is something different than I've seen in a long time. I do want to, I, I saw, I, go ahead. Lawrence. I, I, I want to talk to you about that because I did think that that was a part of the podcast. I was like, man, that's something I do want to explore. I, but I, I think it's unfair to characterize it as taken out of context. I think that, that the context with which it has been taken, I, I think Tim said what he wanted to say. I do think that there is, and I don't know how to characterize this, a misunderstanding of roles and a blurring of, of lying of, of roles. And especially with Chuck, that's where I, I think that that... It, it could be beneficial for Chuck and Tim to have a conversation that isn't recorded, or maybe it is recorded, about what the rules of engagement are. And, and I, what made me kind of reflexively react to it was, this is Chuck that he's talking about. I would understand if he's sitting there with me or with Dan. You know what I'm saying? Or, and, and saying, you guys, look, you, 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 we hear that stuff that you're talking about. Chuck was the last one off the ship, Guff. Like, he, he yeah. wasn't going out of his way, and he doesn't take personal shots or anything like that. Yeah, I called him a benevolent gatekeeper. And, and, and it felt like when you're hearing Tim say, hey, guys, see that in the clubhouse, and you might not have access to some of those guys. Like, I, I don't know if Tim understands that that comes off like a threat. That part, the access thing, um, I found kind of laughable too. Um, more, more of Tim saying that, not, not how it's being uh, you know, perceived. Because I've never seen one player, regardless of status, turn Chuck down. I mean, you guys know. I mean, Chuck talks to these guys every single day. He's like, if he's critical on the postgame show, it's because it's warranted. And if there's anything that, that Chuck and Ozzy have, have uh, earned, um, it's the fact that they're telling it like it is. And I think we want people to, that's what we, that's, that's what people want. You don't want, like, you know, we hear Chuck and I hear all the time about carrying the water and like, you know, I, that's funny to me too, because it's just not that way. And if, otherwise if the Sox lost 10 to two, we'd be sitting there leading a show with, why, the two runs that the White Sox scored and not how they got pounded in the six or something like that. And I don't know who specifically Tim was referring to about blocking access or anything, but I've seen the conversations in the limited time I've been down here this week. and Everyone's the same as it ever was with Chuck. I understand like that one. That's why I said initially, I think Tim going this route was strange. Like I found it weird as it, in the moment. But when Tim was like, but I understand we didn't, we didn't play well. And it, look, guys, results dictate everything. You're right, you know, like mm-hmm. if he hits 315 and the White Sox go out and win 94 games, like this, we'll all laugh about this, this pre, this pre uh, spring training narrative that's, that, that Tim said. But uh, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying with Chuck. 
okay, because he's the one, the last guy off the ship is, is, is really, it's a good comp. And, but Chuck's going to keep being himself. And I think it, even in the interview, Chuck pushed back a little bit like that. Hey, did. I tried. He I did. Tried. And, 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 and I, I appreciated that from him. But here, you, oh, the one thing I wanted to mention about your, your question, I, I, I'd rather Tim come on and discuss it with a microphone rather than have the back, you know, the, the off, off mic, off the mic conversation. Yes. Like we sit here all the time and guys go through the car wash and they do, you know, they do 10 interviews, all of which ends up, end up translating to the same seven and a half minute interview. And everybody airs the same five questions about expectations. And last year was bad and yada, yada, yada. We're feeling good. And, you know, on to the next one. Don't we want more of this stuff? Don't we want more like real conversation between people who can have it rather than like, I, I do think if there's confusion or clarification that need to be had, like that can happen off mic, but I'd rather have, to be honest, I'd rather have two days worth of talk about an interview that happened. I, I really would. I think that so. that's cool. I, I just think that when, when we're talking about the relationship aspect of it, and that was a big thing that, you know, you and Chuck were talking about inside of the intro and everything else that I think it's a, honestly, it's not a TA thing for me, Guff. It's, it's an overall messaging and something that I think on, has gotten lost in what are the roles of media? And then specifically, what are the roles of people who do work for NBC Sports Chicago when it comes to White Sox coverage? And what's the difference between a beat reporter and a columnist? And I know that, that that's a little inside baseball for, for, for us to want with athletes, but I think that it would allow for there to be maybe some less hurt feelings um, if, if there was a better line of communication or understanding of roles in the media where, like I said with Dan earlier, yes, we would prefer, we, we would love if the White Sox are winning. It's better for everyone if the White Sox are winning. But that doesn't mean that because that's what our preferred choice is, that when the team is bad, that we're not going to say it. And when the team does stuff that's absurd, we aren't going to act in kind. And that's where I think the White Sox, are, as an organization, are struggling to find their footing. And, and, it, and I, I got to tell you, it feels like to me that they've kind of set a negative tone while also preaching where, where Tim's like saying, well, let's be positive. I mean, there's a lot to unpack on that for sure. Sorry. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, no, it's fine. Don't be sorry. I mean, like we're having a conversation. So like I heard your, your clip yesterday, like the us against the world mentality. And I mean, Lawrence, I'll be honest with you, man. I, like you're a friend of mine. I, I could, I could not just like being here. I could not disagree more with that. Like I, they might be putting that out there, whether it's like, if, if, if we're going to take the Tim, you know, how, how media is supposed to be perceived. And that, that that's the us against the world mentality that you're talking about taking into 2023. But that is like the furthest thing from what's being construed upon these guys here. I mean, I think there's one thing that's been the most impressive thing to me being down here is the way Pedro Grafal has like laid out the plans for this camp and the communication and inclusivity that he's allowed the players to have with it as they create this like new culture. And I don't think they give two da- like they don't give a damn about you know us against the world. If if if, if these guys don't have motivation as individuals uh, after what happened in the last two years, certainly the last year plus, 
then it's not going to work anyway. I don't care who, what the message is or who's giving it. And I just don't see that being the case. I think the way it's being laid out, you have a lot of guys that have a lot of chip on their shoulder and, and are carrying that into a lot to prove as individuals and a lot to prove. You, know, you put that in the blender and the team can run with it because it's not football where you can just like, be over-intensified and run with it in a, into a 60-minute game. That's not the case with baseball every day. In terms of how the media like rolls in the media and stuff, I think this is generational. Man. Like I just, I just think like these guys are YouTube, TikTok culture, okay? And they could find what they want when they want it, and if it needs to be positive, negative, or something in between, that's just the way that these guys are like brought up now. And if like that's what's needed to make a guy go or click, you know, I I do raise my eyebrows at it to, to your guys' point there about that. Like I don't think. Like, I don't know where it caused confusion in the clubhouse uh, of Chuck and Ozzy maybe being critical of the way they played against the Guardians because the Guardians came out and just kicked their butts up and down the field. And then clowned them and, and, then, and then openly mocked them in the locker the room. I mean, called them out. Like, if, if that's not motivation enough that your rival in their celebration F the White Sox, like, if that yeah. doesn't do it, come on. I agree with you, Dan. But here's the thing. They had no leadership. They had no leadership for 12, well, for two years, top down. Bad leadership, that rolls downhill. Good leadership, that rolls downhill. You can see it, whether it's a company, a baseball team, or anything in between. And they didn't have leadership at the post where they needed it. And I think that that's changed. One guy is not – managers – well, look, managers lost games in the last two years. We know that. Yep. But Pedro Gafal, Pedro like, I don't think that is going to, going to happen anymore. And I also think – there's been guys brought in here, you know, like Elvis Andrews. If we can sit there and say, like, what you want about second base. The guy, I'm telling you, there are things happening in this clubhouse that I haven't seen in a decade. You know, I'm talking about little things, playing cards, all different types of guys playing cards, white, black, brown in between, all different languages, laughter, th- small little things that it's not going through the motion BS crap that they are done with. Like, very few guys even want to talk about last year. Like, they, it's like they want to black it out. Now, I agree. Like, they, if you don't get motivated by the F the White Sox stuff, Dan, it doesn't matter. You and I can manage the team. If they're not taking that into 2023 and beyond, it's just the wrong group of guys. That's just a fact. I hope, too, Ryan, that, that Tim Anderson has the self-awareness and the big-picture awareness to understand the restraint that so many of us in the media showed last season. And there were a lot of places we could have gone with the season that he had. And there were a lot of subjects that could have been discussed. And with all the time that we got, we come in here every day and we plan a four hour show. And there were, there was, there was stuff bubbling all around the different corners of Facebook and Twitter. And then when I read that in this, and and your eyebrows probably raised when you heard him say what he said to Chuck, where TA said, you see your wife struggling, you're going to pat her on the back. And I thought, okay, all right, well, that's uh, that that that's something you can say there. And I, I just hope with all, everything that he's saying that he understands and appreciates and is aware of a lot of things that weren't said last year. Yeah, so for me, and I'll just give you my, uh, this, the Ryan McGuffey point of view on how I do things. I'm critical, you guys know that, but I'm never personal. So I understand what you're saying, and, and I get it. Um, but that, that, I think that goes into what was being said with Chuck, you know, like yesterday. So I think with Chuck, 
being critical is fair when it's time to be critical. Praising somebody when it's time to praise is warranted as well. And I think that's why Chuck can still go up and get whoever he wants, what he wants, because he never is personal. And I think that if guys can't read between those lines, then, then that's on them. But if Chuck was personal, if he was taking jabs or running with some of that stuff, uh, even last year, or, or, or some of the stuff that's out there this year, then Chuck would be barred from access. He would, there would be players turning a cold shoulder or, or, you know, and not wanting to talk to him or join him on the podcast or having real conversations. So each to, to each their own in this one, in this case, but you know, to me, I think that the, the, the tightrope of, of covering a team and, and, the, and the ownership and, and being critical and being fair and not personal uh, are something that I think as individuals who covered these, who cover sports, Dan, we have to look in the mirror too. And I, that, that's just my, I think it's, that's just who I am. I would never, you know, I, I, not everyone, as we know, we see this, we know how the sausage is made when we went into this business. We get to see every day, you know, how the sausage is made. This is not about a rooting interest anymore. You end up finding guys that you kind of gravitate towards rather than teams. And, you know, like, I don't think that Major League Baseball has, you know, 900 of the best men in America. Okay. But I think that's not their ultimate goal either. They're trying to win championships and we have to figure out, navigate the waters of you know who we want to talk about and who we don't. Yeah. This, this feels like a, a, a podcast uh, episode. Like that's, <laughs> I, I'll probably do something on it on house of L now that I think uh, so there's more space, but I, I heard you talking about Pedro Grafol and quite honestly, like I'm kind of excited about Grafol. So what are the things that you're seeing? Forget about the card playing. Well, what are the things that you're yeah. seeing at Camelback Ranch that make you feel like this looks different? Coaching. <laughs> I mean, that sounds so elementary, but they're doing drills here that are very detail-oriented about the little things that lost them a lot of games. Okay? Uh they're one hop drills. I mean, at a very close distance with their back turn where they blow a whistle and boom, balls already in motion and they're, and they're picking it uh, pop pop ups with tennis, ra- tennis balls on te- tennis rackets where the catchers are throwing the mask off and looking up and having to make a play. That's tough things that I don't, these are like, like I said, it seems very elementary and like PFP type stuff at spring train, but they're doing these little things that, that Pedro Gafol has seen from across the diamond over the last few years by being the bench coach of the Kansas City Royals. And the one thing I like, the message he told to the team is that he's not talking about what the goal of spring training is, what the expectations of 2023 are. He's saying, here's our goals for the next five days. And that's what, that's what we're focused on. We're going to accomplish these three things. At the end of the five days, we go back, did we accomplish our goals? What were we short on? What were we, what were we great on? Boom, here's our goal for the next five days. What an indictment! What an indictment of the last two years! I mean, what it's just unbelievable. Yep. That's elementary stuff. That's exactly what good teams do this time of year. And when I heard I a when I heard a player saying something, I don't remember where I read this. I, I think it was Lamond Pope who was just talking about how they refer to it as stacking. You know, stacking these practices where he's not going to keep them there slogging around for six hours and sipping coffee out of a styrofoam cup in there for no reason. Like, we're a morning workout is going to be two hours, afternoon workout is going to be two hours. Get your work in. It's tight, it's tight, it's tight. And respecting them as professionals, like, it's like, 
you you're all of a sudden you do the good work and you make them happy enough to be on schedule, have their time respected as pros. It's like what's been going on the last couple of years. And not just that, Dan, actually asking the players what they want. Hey, this is your camp. This is your camp. What do you want? How do you want to, what would you like taking and taking thoughts from the guys that you're coaching buy in, right? Like if you're an employee of Odyssey or 670 to score, don't you want a little autonomy and a little voice into how things are run? You don't just show up and do your show. Absolutely. You want to feel like inclusive. And I know, like you said, elementary, I, I agree. I, I just think all of the things that he saw across the diamond over the last whatever, five-plus seasons that he's been in Kansas City, or more than that, actually. He's just been taking mental notes, and now he's applying them into camp, and specifically the last two years. And he's got a major league coaching staff. He's got guys, he was talking about, it's like all of his best friends, they all went out, ended up coaching other organizations. You have somebody, you, you have a guy who won a championship with Atlanta. You have a guy that spent the last couple of years in San Diego. And now that they're all back, and they've all grown as coaches in other organizations, and they know each other already, I mean, you have like Cuban American coaches, and the White Sox have that pipeline of Cuban players that that we know about. Yeah, you can have a Spanish speaker, but having a guy that's kind of been there and understands what that means, like you would think that that's even even that. So, I just think it's a it just it just feels a lot different. It's just all those things, those little things that haven't been buttoned up over the last whatever you want to say two plus years or whatever it's been. Uh, that it just I'm not seeing that anymore. I'm not. I'm, I'm seeing a much, a much more well-respected uh, culture buy-in, uh, and that's, that's that. That seems very like rah-rah and high school, college-esque. But you know, sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need to see that at the pro level because you have a lot of guys here that have a lot of things to lose as individuals, and. If they can have individual individually turn those things around, that's going to only add add to the White Sox. I mean, look, there's a lot of things they're still help. They they're banking on health, okay. But if there's some depth questions, but there's some I'm leaving here with a little bit better feeling. Like I'd say cautiously optimistic, which is probably not something I would have said. You know, a couple of weeks ago, but I really like. I, I was curious to see how Patrick Gafal um, would play in person at camp with players, and uh, I, I'm extremely impressed. You've seen Eloy Jimenez since he was in the minors. Are you buying that he lost 25 to 30 pounds? I'm not only buying. I'm. I'm like. I can't stop like looking at him. It's it's uh, it's awkward. Like it, it's like he's legit. Legit lost 25. I've seen him those last couple of years. Did not lose anything. He, you know, we spoke to him, was that yesterday? And he completely gave up red meat which, and no rice. Um, and he came in, I think, at 244-ish. And, you guys, he looks he looks the part. I mean, you know, I don't – I think he's going to be a DH probably at the end of the day, but uh, he looks – he even looks, even the outfield drills he's doing, he looks fleet of foot for a guy who's a big dude. So, yeah, I'm buying. That just means he can run into the wall faster. <laughs> Let's hope not. Let's hope that it actually, I think it might actually impact his swing plane, too, but that's a, a whole nother story. Guff, thanks for giving us so much time, man. All right, guys. Appreciate it.
That's Ryan McGuffey. He is the senior producer, NBC Sports Chicago, and uh, wants a little White Sox positivity. It makes you feel good. There you go. There are people who are, are feeling much better after it's hearing right. Guff talk about some of this stuff. We're allowed to feel good about the White Sox. Yeah. Let's talk about Eloy further when we come back on the score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Bergstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. A lot of people were happy to hear from Ryan McGuffey and some of the stuff that he said about how Pedro Grafol is running his camp. I find it to be encouraging, too. Dan and I were both like, man, that seems like a training camp lie that Eloy's lost 25 to 30 pounds. Look, when you think about that weight, and I know we love to say that. We love to say 25 to 30 pounds. I know that when the meat arrives from Second City Prime Steak and Seafood, when I pick up one of these vacuum-packed packages that's a pound of skirt steak, of perfectly marbled, delectable Mm. prime skirt steak, and that's a pound, and now I imagine 30 of those... Like really think about that. Think about even if you just go to the even if you you, you just go to your butcher and you say uh, one of these, one of these, one of these, and give me uh, give me thirty pounds of chuck roast, and and they wrap it up in paper, okay? And imagine you you put it thud into your cart. Imagine what thirty pounds or a thirty pound turkey. <laughs> you know what a twenty pound turkey is like. So think about how much mass. That actually is on a human being's frame. Let's all slow our roll, okay? Please. I understand people have gastric bypass and they drop ridiculous amounts of weight. Or they go on prednisone and they look completely... Like, there are reasons for massive weight gains and massive weight loss, but really think about that. Think about a a, a brown paper wrapper of 30 pounds of chuck roast and say that player either gained or lost that. Come on. Oh, look, Guff's there, and I trust his eyes when it comes to stuff like this because he's seen Eloy since he's been in the organization. I do kind of feel bad, though, because I'm not even Dominican, and the idea of giving up red meat and rice, man. Yeah, what else is left? You had a piece of fish and, 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 and what, beans, fruit. I guess, and fruit. I mean, good for him if that's working for him. There is one thing I'm – I. I don't have a right answer to this, Dan. I just want to throw this at you and see what you think. Because I don't think that there's a right answer. This is just me working through something. I've moved a little bit on Eloy as an outfielder. I've been dead set against it. He should be the DH for this team 140 games in the season. Pedro Gafol has been like, look, we're not going to take that away from him. We're going to have him come here. He's going to bring his glove. He's going to compete. And most people have been like, yeah, that's exactly the way that it should be. They shouldn't take it away from him. My thing is, if you're saying that, 
only to get him to lose the twenty five pounds. <laughs> okay, so you got the carrot out there for him. And 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 if you if you're saying yeah yeah Eloy, we're totally gonna give you an opportunity to play right field every day. You are. Watch this. All right, great. I'm gonna go get in shape. I'm gonna stop eating meat. I'm gonna stop eating rice. I'm I'm gonna do all of the work in the off season. And then it, you get to the end of this <laughs> knowing that you were never really going to let him play right field. Is he more mad with that? Or is he more mad with you ripping the Band-Aid off and being like, big fella, you're this team's DH for 140 games. This is what it is. Congratulations on the weight loss, but hey. like He's like, look, you, you're going to give me the incentive and then you don't reward it. Almost it puts you in a difficult position where now you're kind of obligated to reward the incentive. So the parenting response would okay, great. That, that if if this were a typical parenting issue, you gotta let him see himself fail. But he's seen himself fail, but not in with not the new body. With, okay, all right, right. If this if if a ball still hits you in the head. If you still run in and it's over your head or you run back and it falls in front of you, where I think you, if, and I'm not saying start him and give him the job and then take the job from him, but maybe just let it, let it be let, and, and say, okay, you, you, you've, you've earned the right to this. And if he ends up trapped in, in the, the netting again, well, people are running around the base, which I've got. But still, that's still one of the funniest damn things I've ever seen in my life. It's so sad, <laughs> but it was so funny. It's, it, it, you you hope you hope that you that he doesn't hurt himself or someone else. More so, someone else. You know, because we saw that play out last year, where Danny Mendick got hurt because you had people who weren't playing where they were supposed to be. You know, like that's. That stuff is, I mean, obviously you don't want Eloy to get hurt because he's so important to their offense. He's, he might be the most important component to their offense. He can't miss any time. And, and I, I get it. Like, I get it. I guess I would probably want the chance to. I, I just know that if I did go through all of this and I wasn't a disaster, but let's say that, that, he makes it through the Cactus League games out in the outfield. Maybe he even throws someone out. Occasionally, he would do that. Usually, from left to third, he would throw someone out. And then you get to the end of it, and then the Astros series is up, and they're like, well, you're penciled in to play DH for all three games of the And he's like, wait a damn minute. What did I do to not deserve to play outfield? I did everything that you said, and I didn't fall on my face. I didn't embarrass myself. I didn't hurt Luis Roberts. I didn't <laughs> run over Luis. Or or Vaughn at first base. Hold up the bobblehead again. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. And you see we got the Elvis thing. That's right. He's back in, in Vogue. And members of Invoke. I was always a Dawn guy, just like Fife. Yeah, they made a bit out of it. This is when the White Sox were king. That that, that was like peak White Sox there. This is when they were that king. They could have fun with that, and it was hilarious. Everyone thought it was great, and everyone laughed, and now, you know, it's not that way. At least according to us. I'm, I'm probably going to see, well, Guff's still in the desert, I think, but 
I did have a rebuttal to, it's not us against the world. I had a rebuttal, but I'll text it to him. His, his name is Mike Clevenger. There they are. White Sox fun. Remember it. When we come back. That could be their campaign, White Sox fun. Remember it? Yeah. It's better than that's too bad. Or so so White Sox until until they build up the 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 slogan could be remember the fun and then you can pull and the answer is no <laughs> there's no shots of Tony Larusa there's just some of this and Tim and Lance Lynn yelling and then like Janet Yellen she's there too for some not reason not Janet Yellen talking about she's, the Fed policy she doesn't want to talk no. about interest rates okay. right now. <laughs> White Sox baseball. Remember the fun? Josie Aru as all them guys. When we come back, there's something that was said several weeks ago that really resonated with me. And, and as we're getting more into baseball and the way these teams are built and what we're talking about, who's playing when and where, I had this sort of revelation about a, a, little, a little understood or a little appreciated factor in Major League Baseball, that I'm going to be paying a lot more attention to this year. That's next on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2, on Sports Radio 670 The Score, and 670thescore.com, in Odyssey Station. We've talked a lot about the way our teams here are preparing for the season, constructing their rosters, the 26, the beyond the 26. And when we've read all these projections and read Pakoda or Zips or any of the other algorithms and then the comments afterward about how top-heavy the White Sox are and how reliant they are on their star players because what's underneath isn't all that good. And they really are strong with their starting lineups, really, really strong. And then you think, well, why does it matter? And we learned that over 162, it really does. The depth of your pitching matters. The depth of your starting pitching. The players who fill in and the versatility of those players who can play multiple positions. That stuff all matters a whole lot. And in the context of what we're talking about with whichever team, whether it's the Cubs or the White Sox, this isn't necessarily team-specific, although it probably skews more toward the White Sox as we discuss it just because they are more top-heavy. I want you to hear what Jed Hoyer told us. This is on this show in October about what good teams do. We didn't have enough power this year. You know, when I look at you know, kind of the breakdown of our of our season, you know, I mentioned this in the press conference that we just didn't blow anyone out. We played so many close games, and that's taxing on your bullpen, and it also brings luck into the equation a lot. You know, you're playing a lot of close games. You are you're actively bringing randomness into the game. The best teams blow people out. You know, and you know, we look go back and look at the 2000. 16 team we, we blew everyone out we blew everyone out and you know look at like teams like the Braves or the, the Dodgers and the, what they do in games are decided by five or more runs and their record is incredible that to me is a mark of a really good team you know if you have a great bullpen you know occasionally you can you can have a season where you're really really good in in one or two run games but like over 
you know, historically, you know, one run games are usually around a 500 ish record, give or take a little bit. You know, the, te- the teams that really separate themselves are teams that can spread games out. We had no ability to do that this year, and we have to improve that ability. Some of that I really believe is coming you know, through the farm system, but we also have to look externally as well and, and find, you know, find players that can, that can help us build that kind of offense where we do have the ability to, to spread some games out and win some games, you know, eight to two or seven to one. And, you know, we couldn't do that in, 20, in 2022. Put that on a poster. The best teams blow people out. And it's not just because, wow, that says we're so much better than you that day. What we know about baseball now, and this also this will carry over to what the NBA is talking about in load management and what load management means and how important it is to a team over the course of a very difficult season. And when we, when we start talking about the injured lists for NFL teams and how many quarterbacks you got, the, the best teams blow people out. Create your own low leverage innings. Create your own low leverage at bats. So you can tell a guy, good game. It's the fifth. We're up 10 to 1. Take off your spikes. Rest that knee. Chill out. Rest your sore legs. We're not going to need you. We don't need you. We're okay now. Not, Not only does it rest, does it make your best players less likely to be hurt, either wear and tear or acutely. Mm-hmm. It helps your other guys. You can say, maybe we'll give you a couple innings here. Want to try you over here. That's free practice time. Eloy, go play right field. Leuri, go over here. Gavin, and I know that's Jed Hoyer talking, but I'm thinking of this from a, from a White Sox context, what they're going to have to do. Hey, Michael Kopech, great four innings, great 82 pitches. Come over here, sit next to me. Your day's over. So we, we know that you're not going to pop a hammy on your next pitch or you're going to be or something, you're, your elbow's going to get tired. Blow teams out. The value setting up the next series, how it all propagates the way you use your, your, your bullpen leverage and which arms. And I know we can have this other debate about position players pitching and the idea of should teams be able to forfeit at some point rather than use their position players. There's some really good discussions about that. But man, I've been thinking a lot about what Jed said when I look at roster construction and I look at what you expect over a season, the value, the hidden value of April blowouts, a Tuesday night night on a rainy foggy night and it's Tuesday and nobody's there and you are up eight nothing after five and all of a sudden you're more likely to win the World Series in in tiny 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 increments because of what you can control the guys you don't have to use the guys you can use it gives it, it you earn you earn these opportunities with with three run homers I like the the concept of like the blowout method of running a team for the reason that you're talking about. And we often talk about the power bar as something that happens in between pitches where the, the Michael Kopech is huffing and puffing to recharge his power bar. This is a way to do that in a more global setting where you're right, where the guy yeah. that was expecting to be a defensive replacement or you know what I mean? This the defensive replacement presumes high leverage. That means it's four three in the seventh. That that's on edge. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. He's, and you're saying, guess what, man? We don't need you tonight. You got the night off. You can take off your spikes. You don't have to worry. But you can just sit here and root for for your teammates the rest of the way. But that means that your offense has got to 
you got to click. You you got to click. And with the pitchers, it's it's interesting. I don't know if I would. I mean, I guess it would depend. Um, there is still some of the let's get that guy a win. Ugh. Well, that that was a Larusa thing. We're going to learn about Griffol. That was a dumb Larusa thing, where where he's still managing in 1986. Yeah. Kopech said earlier this week that he wants to throw 200 innings, and I'm like, those days are over. Like that, there. How many pitchers threw 200 innings? Like 20? Like maybe 20. If I'm not giving pitchers enough credit, let me know. But I feel like it was, it's not more than 20. I would be happy. I would be ecstatic if Michael Kopech threw 150 innings. Oh, my God. Are you kidding? You'd be an Iron Man. I don't know. How many innings did Cease throw last year? Like I'm not, not going to call him Iron Man. Kopech? For Kopech, yes, it would be a major jump. Still, right? Isn't the most innings that he's thrown like 80 or something like that in a season? Most innings that he's thrown, he threw 119. Oh, okay. Yeah, then 150 is a great jump for him. Mm -hmm. There you go. 25 games, all starts, 119 and a third. Now get, get me to 150. I think that's a perfectly reasonable next level. Right? Instead of 200. Because 200's a lot. Eight pitchers last year. Wow. 200 innings. Only, oh, oh, man. In all of MLB? Yeah. Only eight? According to Fangraphs, Sandy Alcantara, Aaron Nola, Miles Michaelis, Corbin Burns, Framber Valdez, Garrett Cole, Merrill Kelly from Arizona, and Shane Bieber. And they told Corbin Burns he wasn't blank. <laughs> Yeah, Corbin, I, I, really, look at this. You suck. We don't want to pay you. I, I threw 200 innings. No, you didn't. I'm one of eight guys. That, get out. Sandy Alcantara's years. Unbelievable. They won the Cy Young, right? Yeah, phenomenal. You mean from an innings perspective? I mean, no, from an everything perspective. Yeah, from an everything perspective, 32 starts, 228 and two-thirds innings, but the strikeout-to-walk ratio, the velocity on average, it's just off the page at you. Man. So, yeah, Michael... I appreciate it. 150 seems like an attainable goal for you this season. And hopefully it starts on time because there had been some discussion that it might not start on time. We have a college hoops discussion next. This is my first time weighing in on this, this astonishing, awful stuff that's going on at Alabama and with Alabama. And we can broaden it a little bit too, but hearing Nate Oates when he stepped in it the first time and now with every word that's coming out of his mouth trying to do damage control on what he said and 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 why this this uncharged but obvious accessory to murder is still playing for them i have absolutely no idea but uh, there there's more than that to get into next on the score we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 